You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Dropping In. A podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in on episode 23. The 2020 winter season is upon us, and I wanted to help you guys prepare for the season. I've reached out to some extreme athletes, some photographers, and more to find out what they put in their pack when they head out for the day. Let me introduce episode 23's guest that we'll be dropping in with. She makes snowmobiling look easy, taking drops on her snowmobile that you probably wouldn't even take on your skis or snowboard. She respects the backcountry and has the knowledge of snow science. She owns her own company. She shreds mountain adventures. It offers snowmobile clinics, guided adventures, avalanche courses for women and men. She's featured in YouTube series with Polaris and Toyota. She's pretty much an all-around badass. This mother, business owner, snowmobiler, biker, horseback rider, photographer is someone you're going to want to listen to and find out what's in Julianne Chapman's Julianne, are you ready to drop in? I'm ready to drop in. Okay. Rapid fire, 10 questions. Okay. Number one, is it strictly sledding or do you ski and snowboard as well? Strictly sledding now. (laughs) (laughs) I I dropped the snowboarding, uh, I'd say maybe... I want to say like eight, nine years ago. Um, I, it's a new passion. So I loved snowboarding when, when I did, when I first did it and grew with the sport. And then when I started snowmobiling, it, uh, it was a new passion. So I'm a all or nothing kind of girl. And I put a hundred percent into sledding. Yes. See, that's why I never did it. Cause I was like, I'm pretty sure I would never turn back. Well, you look at a lot of the snowboard babes like Leanne Pelosi and, you know, Mary Frost, you know, they're all still ripping and they rip on their sleds too. So it's just a matter of time, I think, before you get to that point where you can do both and just rip both. So true. So true. Sorry. Okay. Number two, you travel all over Canada to snowmobile and teach clinics. What's your favorite place to snowmobile? Oh, well, I do travel down to the States, not this year, obviously, because of COVID um, as well. And so if the question is for Canada, I would have to say, oh, this is a tough one. When I first started sledding, uh, the coast, you know, Pemberton, Whistler area, very friendly for beginners. It's lots of wide open areas to learn, no trees, no obstacles. Um, but now at my level of riding where I really like to push myself in technical riding and trees and that kind of stuff, I would have to say, uh, where I live now in the West Kootenays, um, near Nelson, BC, there is some sick riding here or a little bit more technical stuff, but uh, yeah, those are my two favorite places in Canada. Are you in Nelson or are you in Pemberton? 
I, I'm in Nelson now. Oh just my gosh, I didn't Nelson. even know that. Yeah, I moved. Uh, I unfortunately missed the real estate boat over. <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> totally so fair. My next step in adulting was to buy a house. And so, yeah, I bought a acreage. Uh, I was able to afford an acreage with a 5,600 square foot house for $300,000. Boom. Here. Yeah. So, and to- I have a under 700 square foot apartment. <laughs> Whatever works. I mean, I have horses and stuff. And so I wanted, that was just part of my dreams too. So rad. I know. I watched some of your videos with your, with your horses and everything. Oh, look at that outside. Well, you can't see them right now because they're eating in their shed. But yeah, the horses are right outside my bedroom window. I feel like you have more snow than we do. Well, we got a ton of snow. Dang. Oh my gosh. Okay. We'll get to that. (laughs) Okay. Number three, must have accessory on your sled. Ooh, you know what? And my older, in my older age, I'm going to say an electric start. (laughs) (laughs) When I was younger, I was so hard headed and I was like, don't need electric start. Those are for old people. Now I'm like, yeah, when my sled's upside down and I need to get it started, I'm not yanking on it, bent over like a hunchback in Notre Dame. I'm just going to push a button so much easier. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this. Okay. The the reason I do this is so that the listeners get to learn more about you and this is perfect. I I don't know the questions you're answering. I know. I know. No one knows. (laughs) I just just made them up too. (laughs) Okay. Um, Number four, you've been in BC for over 20 years now. Why? Almost over 20 years? I'd say, uh, hold on a second. I'd say more like 17 years. Okay. And, and how long have you been in Nelson? Uh, only three years. Three years. Yeah. I'm just outside of Nelson. So like 15 minutes outside of Nelson. Okay. Yeah. Three years and, in Nelson. And Pemberton, BC. I was there for six, six. Wait, my numbers don't match here. A while. A while. Put it that way. Yeah. You hunkered down in Pemberton for a while. I did. Yeah. Now you're kind of far away. I am. <laughs> That's okay. You got the good snow and you got the acreage. That's why. Totally. I, I, don't get me wrong, though. I do miss the Sea to Sky Corridor. There is some solid people and some solid mountains there for sure. Yeah. All right. Number five, big drop on a sled or pow turns? Mm, big drop if the conditions are good. I mean, good as in like deep. Um, I'm not going to be dropping off of anything, especially in my older age uh if it's not super super deep let's tell Uh, the listeners how old you are because you're not even that old (laughs) no i'm not i'm 34 (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah it's uh the the conditions have to be perfecto for me to do a big drop and so yeah the adrenaline and all that stuff is so awesome when the conditions are right but if the conditions are not right a soulful pow turn any day i'll take that and how big is like a big drop for you um, I'd say the biggest drop I ever did was about like 30 ish feet. Um, like normal yeah. people in, in the intro, like I say, normal skiers or snowboarders would probably not do drops on their skis or snowboard that you would do on a sled, <laughs> um, which I think yeah. is true. Yeah. There's some hardcore snowboarders and skiers. Out there, I know, but-, but like recreational. Yeah, ten four. Um, yeah, no, for sure. It's it's uh, it's an adrenaline rush, and you really got to know, you know, how to 
properly land and with the right amount of throttle and all that or else you're going to be eating the handlebars right in your face and uh, hurting yourself so and that makes me think of Devin Walsh actually who got the like handlebar to his throat and now his voice will never be the same totally or um uh Kale Stevens handlebars right to the face loading his sled oh yeah that was that was that was that's where he like took off his nose okay moving on that dates us now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that date says, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Number six, preseason workouts and cross training. What do you do because sleds are heavy? Yeah, so uh, midsummer, uh, like in the off season, a lot of mountain biking uh, for endurance. And I'm talking like pedaling uphill. Uh, I don't have any bike. And so I'm not, uh, I'm not cheating. <laughs> Those with e-bikes will tell me that, you know, e-bikes are not cheating, but still I'm saying it's cheating. Um, I want an e-bike. <laughs> had, um, my buddy Darren Taros and, and Matt Langman, they came out to visit this, uh, this summer and they brought their e-bikes and yeah, I think they've sold me on them, but still long story short, uh, get ready yeah. for the season. <laughs> For the season, lots of mountain biking in the summer. Um, riding my horses is great for core and legs. Yeah. Uh, and then when the fall hits, that's when I start to do some pretty intensive uh, interval training. I uh, bought a gym, um, 1600 bucks from a wholesaler in Kamloops, full setup, like rack and everything, uh, mats on the ground and everything. And so it was money well spent because now with COVID, like I would not want to work out with a mask on. And so, yeah, full high intensity interval training, um, heavy weights, uh, lower reps, um, and just getting that muscle uh, built up for. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy working out? Be honest. Yeah, I do. I do. I really do because I hate it, but I make it a goal to finish it because I'm so stubborn. Totally. I hate it as well. Um, Okay. Once I get into it, <laughs> once I get into it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is good. And like the the hurt, the burn at the end is like, oh yeah, this is a good burn. Yeah. Uh, but it's getting, you know, to the point of, of, you know, okay, okay. It's been an hour. I've been thinking about going to do my workout. Should 100%. I? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it's I hard. feel you. I feel you. Oh, that's so true. Okay. Perfect. Honesty is the best policy here. <laughs> I do like jog tours and I bring my phone with me sometimes and and people love it because I always get lost. And, and I hate jogging. Like, I hate it. But at least it gives me something to do. And I, like, know I have to – I've gone out there and I have to come back. <laughs> That's awesome. You put, you put a tracker on to get yourself back so you're not lost? <laughs> no, 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 no. I get brutally lost. Like, I did it in Toronto and I was like, oh, I'll get to know the neighborhood. And then I just – dead end, dead end. It was pretty bad, but – I still try. I I did one in Vegas too. Like wherever I travel, I try and do them to just get to know the area. It's pretty fun. I digress. (laughs) Back to you. Number seven, um, being the owner of She Shreds, you teach men, men and women how to snowmobile. How long does it take to learn how to snowmobile? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. It all depends how much effort you put into it. Um, Mm -hmm. so just like anything in life, if you only do it, you know, once or twice a year, it's going to take you years to get better. Um, if you do it, like when I started, I was out there like four or five times a week. So it only took me a season to really get the hang of it. And a so, season. yeah, so, but that's four, t- four or five times a week. That's, yeah. that's quite a bit during the winter. Yeah. And so, yeah, it all depends how much effort you put into it. 
um, and it will distinguish how fast you learn. And so, so when you um, <clears throat> have a clinic, oh my god, <clears throat> okay, COVID. Sorry. I don't, I don't have COVID. <laughs> when you, when you run a clinic, how long, how many days are the clinics? I offer one and two day clinics. Uh, usually, um, I will do privates longer if the people have the stamina, endurance and strength to do, um, more than two days. So because it's a clinic, you are, um, asked physically to do a lot of, of, of maneuvers and, and skill progression lessons and stuff like that. So by the end of two days, a, a ride is really just finished. And so I got to be really careful too, on, on how much I push my clients. Um, yeah. you know, if somebody shows up, like for you, for example, if you showed up, you're fit, you train, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I can push you a little harder and you can take a little bit more, but somebody who, you know, works a Monday to Friday office job and doesn't work out, I got to be really careful at how much I push them because if I push them too hard, they'll be done by 10 AM. For and, sure. For oh, yeah. Cause how heavy are the sleds? They're almost like around 500 pounds. Yeah, they're they're pretty heavy. They're and they're those are lighter than the older sleds too. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking new sleds here. <laughs> oh there, man, there's always way to shed weight off your sled. Um, like Chris Brandt, for example, he puts everything carbon, everything titanium. You know, so his sleds are like super light. But wild. Yeah. So it, it all depends how much money you have, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a it's not a cheap sport to get into for sure. That's like another reason I never did it. Also, I was like, I don't know what to do out there. <laughs> totally, it's uh, it's a very expensive sport. I mean, you can get away with doing it um, on a budget, um, but then you're dealing with older gear and you're dealing with you know sleds that might have break down a little bit more and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So there are ways to do it a little cheaper, but it's always best to put the money into it um, and get the good stuff. And and when I'm talking safety gear too, that's something that you never cheap out on. Oh yeah, no, no, no. And we'll get into that when we find out what's in your pack. We're so, I, I honestly, I love the rapid fires. They're so slow. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What is your favorite season? Ooh, winter, obviously. Um, yeah. I'll be honest with you, by the end of the winter, I'm like, oh yeah, bring on summer because <laughs> I'm just burnt out and tired and physically just done. So um, you ask me now what my favorite season is? Winter, 100%. Ask me, ask me in April. Yeah. Ask me in April and I'll be like, yeah, I'm pretty stoked it's summer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we're all on that same page. I know when it's like, yeah, April, May, you're kind of like, okay, bring on the sunshine for us West Coasters. <laughs> We do it as our, as our business as well. And yeah. so we're in it 110%. Yeah. Get these snowboard boots off my feet. <laughs> do you have a random question? Not part of this. Do, so being naive about snowmobiling, do you have specific snowmobile boots? I do. And I'm actually about to go do a big Avsar um, avalanche course in Golden in two, two weeks. Yeah. And it's on... A split board. I, I haven't put a board on in in my feet in like seven years. No way. I have only snowmobile boots. And so the snowmobile boots, I mean, they're kind of the same as snowboard boots, but just a little bit of a thicker sole and more uh, harder kind of material. So it doesn't okay. eat away on the running boards. And right. so I'm about to show up to this avalanche course and it's, it's 
probably going to be all like high-end skiers guides the ACMD guides and all and they're going to be like who is this chick <laughs> on snowmobile boots and a board that's borrowed by <laughs> I'm borrowing my partner's board and all I'm going to be at the back of the line, that's for sure. <laughs> Just like on the heart. Oh, that'll be interesting. Can't wait to hear how that goes. Yeah, that's um, perfect that you bring that up because I was going to say you're well-versed in snow science. I'm wondering what level AVI courses you have. Yeah, so I have um, certificate-wise, I have my operations level one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working towards my operations level two for quite a few years now, but it kind of got delayed because I had a kid. And so um, that got put on the back burner for two years. And now that my little dude's two years old, I'm I'm able to separate and and go do these big courses. And so I'm doing my last prerequisite um, in two weeks and uh, I'm so close to getting my operations level two. And operations level one allows you to do what? Uh, Allows you to be a guide. Um, The snowmobiling and skiing and snowboarding are two very different things when it comes to guiding right now because snowmobiling still kind of new um, guiding and so they're trying to uh, make it even across the board uh, for snowmobile guides and ACMG guides. Um, there is a, oh my goodness, there's a guy in Revelstoke, Steve Scott, who is now developing the Motorized Snowmobile Guide Association. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Like, don't, don't quote me on that. I don't really <laughs> than the actual title, um, but it's in the works. Uh, they're definitely trying to make it uh, minimum operations level two to be a snowmobile guide in the next very near future. Yeah. Um, and they're, yeah, they're just trying to make it a little bit more even for uh, ski guides and uh, and snowmobile guides. So we're cool, because safety is of the utmost importance while we're out there for sure. It's always top of mind for me at least. <laughs> All right, number 10, we're rounding up the rapid fire. What is the one recommendation that you have for someone thinking about starting to snowmobile? Ooh, it is probably, I hate to crush your dreams, but it's probably one of the hardest sports you'll ever try to get into. Um, I compare it to surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a tough one for me to get into. Just, you know, reading the ocean, uh, you're reading the mountains um, as far as like safety goes and avalanches and riptides, you know, and stuff. And so physically, um, it's a it's a very demanding sport. So I always say, set your expectations low. Uh, with anything in life, you know, your partner, uh, what your <laughs> partner's cooking you for dinner, <laughs> and you will be happy. So um, you don't set your expectations when you first start that you're going to be side hilling in two weeks. It's never going to happen. Um, set your expectations low with, you know, maybe getting, being able to do a couple power cars linked up together and you'll be like, oh, I was able to do that. And so it'll keep you in tune and it'll also um, keep you enjoying the sport if you set your expectations. Be a realist, people. (laughs) Thank you for um, participating in the rapid fire. Really appreciate it. Definitely learn more about snowmobiling um, and how difficult it is, but I do still need to get out there. I know that much. I love it. Like I go, gosh, once in a blue moon and I have a a smile from ear to ear. And unfortunately, I competed for far too long and (laughs) never got out there, even though you're like, let's get out there. (laughs) This is the year because you're not going to be traveling for competitions this year. Nelson, here I come. Are you ready for me? (laughs) 
I still, you know what? Um, my operations are still uh, functioning 100% in uh, Pemberton and, and, and Worcester area. I just have a lead guide, Janice McWilliam, who teaches okay. all the clinics for me um, over there now. Wicked. And yeah, I, I deal with the customer relations and the bookings when it comes to the coastal operations, but Janice is the one who's on snow. Awesome. Uh, Janice could be my new best friend. She's pretty awesome. <laughs> Wicked. Okay, so let's get into it. I um, really want the listeners to get a feel of what is in an expert's pack. And, uh, and if you could kind of just guide us through what you put in your pack, that would be amazing. Absolutely. So I'm going to start this off by telling you um, there's two different places to put your stuff on a snowmobile. So there's mm-hmm. obviously your pack and then there's your tunnel bag um, that's on the back of the snowmobile. And so picking where you put this gear is pretty uh, detrimental just because If your snowmobile goes into a crevasse, um, you know, if you're riding up the Pemberton ice caps and your snowmobile goes down a crevasse, all you have on you to survive is what's in your pack. And so basically where I'm going with this is whatever you put in your tunnel bag, you don't need that stuff to survive. And everything that you do need to survive is in your backpack. And so um, let's start going down the list um, and I'll let you know where, where I carry it on me. And so um, number one, uh, the full first aid kit. And so when I say full first aid kit, um, that basically is, you know, your, your basics, uh, obviously band-aids and little, um, what you would call it, like uh, steri strips and, you know, all these kind of little things. But I also call it carry like a hardcore um, first aid kit that has splints and, uh, you know, you're dealing with snowmobiling and so you, you're more prone to have these big bleeds and stuff like that. So I got like um, blood clotting. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to scare you, but. <laughs> Just being prepared, being, being prepared, prepared for the exactly. worst. Yeah. And in my 17 plus years snowmobiling, I've never had to use a blood clot pad. So thank God. And I'm going to knock on all of the wood. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, it's just being prepared. It's, you know, it's a question of, oh, it's, it's not never going to happen. It's when is it going to happen? And I'll be prepared kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, there's lots of places online, uh, to get, you know, a list of all what you should have in your first aid kit. Um, taking a wilderness first aid course is huge. They offer a 40 hour and they offer an 80 hour. Um, and obviously to be a snowbill guide, you have to have the top of the top. So I have an 80 hour plus CPR. Um, but it, you know, you can have your first aid kit, but not really know how to use it. So that's, right. that's, that's when the course comes into play. You get to at least know how to use all your gear. Um, the pack itself, I carry an avalanche pack, Highmark by Snowpulse Avalanche pack. Um, this doesn't, affect my decision-making points at all in the backcountry. Like it's not going to, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I can ride this face because I have an Avi pack. You know, it's, it's, it's an Avi pack is just a, a, an extra tool to help if you got into a crappy situation kind of thing. And so the pack itself, um, communications. So next is very often you're snowmobiling and out of cell phone, uh, reception areas. So as a guide, I have to have two, um, modes of communication. So I carry an inReach and a satellite phone. Um, a recreational user doesn't really need both. Uh, if you're going to pick one, I would probably go with the inReach, uh, just because it's a little cheaper and it's actually a little bit more dependable, um, just because, uh, satellites, 
they orbit around the Earth. And so these, um, these devices depend on these satellites. And so if you're on a call with a satellite phone, you're going to get dropped because you're slowly orbiting. Um, and so your call will only last about eight minutes and then you'll get dropped and you'll have to search for another satellite, excuse me, to hook onto. And then, and so, yeah, so the inReach is a little bit more dependable. It's more smooth communication, whereas the sat phone, it drops and picks up and stuff. And so, yeah, inReach. And then next is communications within the group. And so having a good two-way radio, I use um, the Baofeng VHF radio only because I go up a lot of logging roads that there's logging. And so I need to be able to communicate with logging trucks, um, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so the VHF radio allows you to do both. Um, it's a little bit more of a complicated radio to use um, just because you have to get it programmed and understand the programming a little bit more. Whereas, you know, BCA and just those, you know, Motorola radios or low level kind of recreational users. Um, also with the VHF radios, you have to, if you're going to be getting it programmed with um, channels that like, you know, the search and rescue or the helicopters and uh, the helicopter um, companies in the area and stuff like that, you have to have a permit, um, like a license to be able to get those um, programmed into your radio. So just, yeah, just make, just be aware of that stuff if you're going the VHF route. Um, next, uh, rope and carabiners. So, um, I always carry a a little bit of rope, like six to 15 feet of rope. Um, I like that that's a little bit of rope for you. Like a little (laughs) bit of rope would be like two feet for someone. You're like a little bit of rope, six to 15 feet. So if your snowmobile goes into like, you know, a really tree well or something like that, it's nice to have long ropes to tie on ski loops to be able to stand outside of the tree well and have a straight back while you're pulling it instead of being all hunched over in the hole and trying to pull the ski and stuff. And so on a regular day, that's what I'll, what I'll carry for rope and, and towing sleds out too. Um, mm-hmm. It's nice to have a nice longer rope so you're not constantly butt, butt ending the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but when I'm traveling on glaciers, uh, I'm talking like a hundred to 200 feet ropes and, and harnesses. And, How big you know, is your pack? Well, that stuff goes on the tunnel bag. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, I forgot to tell you where I carry this stuff. So let's go back up the full first aid kit. I carry a tiny little first aid kit in my pack, the big first aid kit with all the splints and all that stuff in the tunnel bag. Um, the satellite communication in my backpack, the rope in the tunnel bag. Don't need rope to survive. Um, Next, shovel, probe, and transceiver. That's a given. Transceiver mm-hmm. on your body, uh, pro- uh, probe, and um, shovel on your backpack. You'll see a lot of sledders. Um, sorry to stereotype, but from Alberta, especially, that they carry their um, uh, shovels on their tunnels. And so I say to clients, if you're going to carry your shovel in your tunnel, sure, let it be your second shovel, your backup shovel. So you don't have to take your pack off when you're getting unstuck. You can just rip it off your tunnel bag and just start shoveling. Um, never carry your only shovel um, on your uh, tunnel bag because if you know if you get into an avalanche or if, if one of your buddies gets into an avalanche and all of a sudden you need your shovel but you left your sled way down at the bottom you're you're screwed your buddies you know the timing is everything when it comes to burials and so yeah just make sure you have that shovel on you for sure um snowmobile tools so that's super heavy um i keep that on my tunnel bag 
And that is um, each brand has specific tools. And so uh, Skidoo uh, has its specific tools and Polaris has its spe specific tools and sizes. And so uh, I try to carry as much as I can because I have clients with a whole bunch of different kinds of sleds. Um, and that's on my tunnel bag because I don't need tools to survive. Uh, survival kit, that's huge. And so that's in my backpack, obviously. In the survival kit, um, I got food, uh, extra water. I've got ways to light fires. So to survive in general in the winter harsh conditions, you need uh, warmth, you need food, and you need water. Um, and so ways to light fires. I've got like, I think three different ways to light fires. I've got uh, waterproof matches. I've got flints and uh, lighters. Lighters. I'm so that I'm so glad you went into that because yeah. I was like three different ways. Okay. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> so if, if your lighter gets wet, it's hard to get a, a start of a, of a flame. And so um, lighter is always number one because it's easiest, obviously, but it's really easy to get them wet in snow. And so backup is waterproof matches. Um, and then backup backup is a flint, which is a little harder to light a fire. But <laughs> about what you got, you're talking Flintstones here. So let's yeah, see. Yeah, going old school. Yeah. And so, and then um, survival kit, uh, I have a little fishing hook and uh, uh, um, uh, plastic, like uh, like fishing wire, I guess, if you want to call it. Fishing line. Yeah. The yeah. chances of me finding a fish in the winter is probably pretty low, but I've got food in my backpack, so I think I'm good. But just in case, I got stuff to catch fishes. <laughs> um, and then, uh, oh, tampons. Not just because I'm a girl, uh, but it's a great way to light a fire. Uh, you dip the tampon in your gas tank of your snowmobile. And you got yourself an insta way to light a nice big fire. I wonder if any of the boys have that. Oh yeah. So in my avalanche courses that I teach, uh, I always have like little prizes for people that answer questions. And yeah. so very often I'll bring a box of tampons and the guys are like, you get a tampon and you get a tampon. Everyone gets tampons. <laughs> she shreds. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So by the end, they understand why they're getting a tampon. <laughs> um, extra gloves, lots of extra gloves, um, especially if you're in a survival mode, you're going to be building yourself a little Quincy, a little, you know, somewhere to keep warm that's sheltered from the elements. And so you're using your hands in snow and you want to make sure that you try to avoid um, a hypothermia as much as you can and, and frostbite and that kind of stuff. And so heat packs too, um, carry lots of heat packs for my toes, my hands. Um, like how many? What's a lot? I carry, so I carry two full foot ones. I yeah. carry two just toe ones and two hand ones. I don't even think I've seen full foot ones. Yeah. I, I think know. I need those. I got frostbite on my toes like 10 years ago and they just are so unhappy now. Totally. And that's a lifelong thing you got to kind of deal with after that. I'm man. fine. I'm fine. No, I'm not fine. <laughs> You're hardcore talking there. <laughs> um, yeah, I found those full foot ones. A photographer um, of my of a buddy of mine had them in his pack because photographers are just standing around all the time, and so he was like detrimental for photographers. For sure. Um, what else? So wood, um, wood, uh, wood saw. So you'll see a lot of people, you know, with the plastic handle with the saw that flips out. I personally don't really like those because they're pretty limited to length. And so that limits you to the size of, of logs that you're cutting down. Mm -hmm. I really like the chain that you pull on each yep. side um, because that lets you take down the big suckers pretty quick. <laughs> 
Um, what else? And would you have a, a saw in your sled handle as well? Um, ye, those are usually pretty flimsy. I'll, okay. I'll, yeah, I have never, I've not once seen a shovel with a good solid saw. So if you want a solid saw, uh, go with the saw company. Steel has a really good one. Um, and uh, Mountain Lab Gear, uh, they just, a new company from last year, they've got a really good one that's uh, like a cheap. Imagine there was like that flimsy one that like came out of the top of your. That would be, um, that would be pretty cool. That's, that's for the. The, the creators, somebody needs to create one of those. There you go. Don't steal my idea. No, Flimsy saw comes out of shovel. Sounds no. super sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. And so, um, yeah, I'm just going down my uh, toolkit here. So, oh, I have a compass too. Um, I mean, all our cell phones have compasses, but you can never really depend on uh, technology. To last in the cold. Um, and now do you have your cell phone on while your beacon's on? Negative. So um, I put my cell phone in airplane mode and I put it minimum 30 centimeters away from my transceiver. Mm -hmm. um, I do use my phone for photos for clients. I use my phone for an altimeter as well to know um, my elevation. I also use my phone for um, my emergency communication device. So that's mm -hmm. linked to my inReach. It's an app called EarthMate um, that links to that. And I also use my phone for uh, tracking Gaia maps um, and so GPS style. And so that being said, I use my phone quite a bit. Um, it's in airplane mode. The it's what it, Bluetooth is usually what um, interferes with cell phones. And so, uh, sorry, interferes with uh, transceivers. And mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, it's in airplane mode. It's far away from my transceiver. And, uh, and yeah, that being said, I do use my phone for quite a bit of stuff. And so I carry an extra battery pack for my cell phone to charge if need be. Um, again, knock on wood, I've never had yeah. to recharge it, but, uh, but yeah, it's always good to have a backup of, of communication. Um, what else? What else? Uh, I've got a whistle. I've got a flare. Uh, baby sacks are huge for warmth, uh, but also great for creating um, little shelters. So, what, uh, what was that? A bivy sack. Bivy those, sack. Those metal uh, looking, those shiny. Uh, like once you're done a run. Yeah. 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 At the end like of a the marathon. They yeah, put you in that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So those are great for if you're stuck in the backcountry, keeping warm. And they're mm -hmm. also great for putting down on the ground to insulate fr from an injured person. So when somebody's injured, the first thing that they start, their body starts to go into shock. They lose um, temperature, core temperature starts to drop. And so putting that down on the ground um, helps with insulating. So I would put down like a bunch of clothes um, and then put the baby sack on top and then the person on top of that. So that's another chance to keep them warm a little bit yeah. longer. Yeah. Um, and if, as, as I said, when you're building shelters too, it's really good to um, use them as walls to um, for wind and stuff like that to help shelter from elements. Very cool. Yeah, baby sacks are huge. Um, I carry a tarp in my um, in my tunnel bag. Um, so the survival kit's in my backpack, but the tarp is in my tunnel bag. The tarp is good for, uh, oh man, it's good for everything. So yeah, 
it's good for so many things. You can <laughs> make yourself a toboggan. I mean, it's not going to be super comfortable for the person in the back, but wrap the person up and then put them in an actual toboggan. Um, it's good for broken down sleds. So we actually used a tarp for somebody's track that blew off. So we had to, um, <laughs> we had to pull the snowmobile with no track. And so we had to, we put the, the tarp underneath. So it makes, made it a slippery surface instead of Wild. just, yeah. So there's lots, lots of things you can do with the tarp. Tarps are pretty awesome. Um, what else? Oh, snow science tools. I mean, that's just cause I'm a guide and I constantly am studying snow. Um, but I wouldn't expect somebody to carry that as a recreational user. Um, yeah. Uh, extra food and water. I mentioned that wood saw. Oh, headlamp. Uh, there's lots of really great companies out there. Um, I personally have a Lynx OGT headlamp. They have super high watt um, lights and uh, they're, they're easily, it's not like battery powered. It's, you just plug it into the wall to recharge. And so you're saving on batteries and it's a local company out of Nelson, which is pretty rad. Um, and so yeah, having a good light is huge. Um, Can I use that light biking as well at night? Oh yeah, absolutely. They have different mounts to put on handlebars and a whole bunch of stuff. So it's, it's a really, I, cool yeah, it's hard to find a good lamp, like lamp that actually shines lamp, totally. headlamp, headlight, headlamp, headlight, headlamp. Yeah, no, this thing lights up a whole, like it lights up my whole driveway. It's, it's, I forget the wattage of the lamp right now, but it's, it's good. It's all around good. Okay. I'm going to get one. Talking about that with sledding. And so let's say, you know, you drive your sled into a tree and you punch out your headlights and you're all of a sudden the light, the sun's going down. You don't have any lights to get out. So you definitely oh need a light. And so I always tell people have it on your helmet because you're able to shine the light where you want to go. Whereas if it's on your handlebars and you're going uphill, the light's pointed to the moon. <laughs> can't see where you're going. So if it's on your head, you, at least you can shine it down. You can see where you're going. Totally fair. Um, extra goggles, extra lenses, uh, snow wheeling. You tend to sweat quite a bit when you're stuck and I'm a face sweater. So my goggles, <laughs> my God, my upper lip sweater. So my goggles get fogged out super easily. And so, um, and so, yeah, I just bring extra, extra of everything. Um, my extra layers I usually put in my tunnel bag, um, just because it does take up room and I don't have that much room in my backpack. Um, extra fuel, uh, that's, I mean, all dependent on how deep the snow is, how far your plan is to go that day, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't necessarily need to bring extra fuel, but it's always good to have at least one person with extra fuel because there's always somebody in that group that is full pin all day and he'll be, or she'll be the first one to run out of fuel. And if they're the person with extra fuel. That's awesome. But if they're not the person with extra fuel, they're buying beers at the end of the day. <laughs> no tampons uh, for you. No tampons for you. <laughs> An extra belt uh, for the sled. Obviously, that's in um, in your snowmobile. There's always a, a spot in your snowmobile to carry extra belts or one extra belt at least. And um, it's always good to know where your uh, closest safety cache is for the day. Um, so, for example, if you're going up Brandywine, um, Blackcomb Snowmobile and Black Tusk um, Snowmobile both have safety caches. Um, now, Blackcomb Snowmobile, they are in operation. They're probably not going to let a recreational user use their stuff. But, I mean, if it's an emergency out of pure human decency, decency they should. <laughs> 
Um, Black Test Mobile just put up a brand new uh, safety cache way out towards Ring Mountain this year. And so there's one there. Um, so yeah, know where your, your safety caches are and there's always extra gear, toboggans, you know, that kind of stuff to um, help out with emergencies. Amazing. Yeah. And so the, the, I did make a video, um, called Pemby life episode two, um, respect adventure, uh, safety and on all this stuff. And this was made in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's a video there you guys can reference to for as far as like safety cash goes. And there's a list of all the stuff that I mentioned on my uh, website and my blog as well. If, um, anybody needs that. Yes. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm enlightened and I know so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, so great. Thank you so, so much. And again, where can people find you? Thanks for having me, by the way. This no is uh, very nice of you, Miss Shady. <laughs> um, people can find me Instagram, uh, uh, at She Shreds Mountain Adventures. Uh, Facebook, She Shreds Mountain Adventures. Um, my website is sheshreds.ca. Um, and I'm here to talk to anybody, phone, email, whatever I'm, I'm, and even if you're not doing a clinic, like I'm happy to help anybody get into the sport, whether, whether it's, you know, talking safety, wondering what they need, how to set up their snowmobile for themselves. Cause you know, us girls, we're, we're a little bit smaller. And so the stock machine out of, out of crate is usually set up for somebody who's like almost six feet tall. And so setting up the sled for a small person, um, always helps with um, with maneuvering the snowmobile. So wicked. So many things that I've learned that I did not know before. Um, I do like to do a little takeaway and uh, I'll just go over some of the things. You talked about uh, wilderness, taking a wilderness first aid course. Um, pretty important if you're going to be out in the backcountry. Um, you have the 80 hour one and there was a, is, was it 60 hours? Uh, 40 hours. I 40 think. or 80. Oh, Double it up. Okay. Um, I really liked what you said about the communication out in the backcountry that you, you, you literally as a guide have three different ways to communicate. One is internally with everyone. Um, and then two are to the big wide world, uh, just to be safe there. Um, and your quote was set your expectations low, a little lower than you would expect. And you will be happy. Um, so many. Oh, yeah. I was going to say set the expectations low, but goals high and, and set your timeline to reach these goals a little bit longer than normal. Yeah. You're not going to learn in three days. Mm-mm. Like I would hope to, because that's just not going to happen. And be prepared to sweat <laughs> and pick, try and pick up a 500 pound sled. Because you're going to get stuck, people. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's techniques and, and tips and stuff to make life easier, obviously, when it comes to getting stuck. But um, layering is huge uh, mm-hmm. in the mountains when snowmobiling. I do a blog, too, on proper layering. Um, but yes, you, you stop for lunch, you get cold, you get stuck, you get sweaty. And so being able to shed layers to adjust your body temperature in the, all these different ups and downs is, is huge as well. So wicked. Also, tampons can be used to help make fires. Newsflash, men and women. That's right. Multiple uses of tampons. 
I don't think I've ever say, said that word more than I did on this today. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Awesome. Julia, thank you so much for dropping in with me today. Thanks for having me, Mercedes. Follow Dropping In on Facebook and Instagram at Dropping In with Mercedes. Thank you, DJ Kenosis, for the music and my mom for the intro voice. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.